As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the Blackhawks Talk Podcast with Charlie Romeliotis and James Dubow. I am Pat Boyle. Boys, uh, what'd you think of the Super Bowl, first off? <laughs> Are you asking what I thought about the call? <laughs> yeah, let's start there. That's fine. Honestly, I don't have a problem with the call. I think I more so have a problem with the fact that there weren't a ton of flags in the game. So it felt like a weird time to kind of enforce maybe a borderline kind of call. Right. Like, I think if you maybe go back and look at all the plays um, and see if there was holding on, maybe a lot of them were ticky tacky, but that was a tough one to, you know. But overall, I honestly did, I didn't mind the fact that they called it. I think I just, maybe if we go back and watch some of the first three quarters, what calls did they miss that they didn't call that they maybe, maybe, uh, you know, tightened up the rule book in the fourth quarter? I don't talk about gambling losses often, but uh, if Devonta Smith had caught the touchdown in the fourth quarter of the game, it would have hit the final two legs of a parlay that I had. Mm. And the fact that he couldn't keep his balance was um, that was very disappointing. Uh, it, it marred the rest of the game for me. I will say I agreed with the call as well. It reminded me of the um, late hit on the quarterback in the Bengals Chiefs AFC title game. I think that Fans were mad because it had such a huge outsized impact on the game. But in in the ultimate scheme of things, it was the right call. So very entertaining game. Thought the Chiefs deserved to win. Mahomes was crazy again. Absolutely deserved to win MVP. And yeah, other than, uh, you know, losing out on money, it was a really uh, fun and exciting (laughs) night. (laughs) I want to know what they did to Mahomes at halftime. That question never seemed to be uh, asked by any of the uh, talking heads after the game because, uh, man, it looked like he really re-injured that uh, mm-hmm. high ankle sprain, but magically he came out after Rihanna and he uh, he was fine. Maybe Rihanna reinvigorated him with her uh, performance. It could have been a Matt Nagy uh, inspirational talk. I I'll tell you that... what, James, having a 30-minute halftime probably was very beneficial mm-hmm. for the training staff and for Kansas City. All right, let's talk. Not wrong. Here. Let's let's talk some hockey here. Now it's uh, we we we've got our full focus. We're less than three weeks from the trade deadline, and uh, a lot was made about what Patrick Kane said after the Vlad Tarasenko deal. I thought it's the most candid we've heard from Patrick Kane maybe ever. Uh, and I had no pride. I really applaud him for for what he had to say. Charlie, what was your takeaway from from what Kane had to say about the trade to New York? Yeah, I agree. I honestly, I didn't have any issue with the comments because it kind of provided a glimpse at what he was thinking going into the March 3rd trade deadline. We obviously know that if Kane were to waive his no movement clause, um, it was going to be a very short list. And we all kind of assumed that the New York Rangers were very high on it uh, if it got to that point. So the fact that New York kind of acted quickly and 
checked their box of needing a top six right winger to play with Artemi Panarin. I'm sure it kind of stung Kane from the standpoint that that's that was my top option if I was going to leave. And now I basically have to do some internal uh, self-assessment on what I want to do moving forward. Like what is there going to be any options out there for Patrick Kane that is going to be really appealing to him, both from a rental standpoint, but also from the point of view that if he wants to sign a more of a longer term extension with the team that potentially could acquire him. So I really appreciated the honesty. Um, and, and the one thing, you know, obviously he was kind of talking about his hip injury and whether that's overblown. I feel like that, that storyline is uh, a larger storyline outside of Chicago, as opposed to inside Chicago. We've obviously known Patrick has been dealing this, with this for for a while. And I think he was a little bit frustrated that that was viewed as one of the reasons why the Rangers maybe pivoted from Kane and, and went to acquire Tarasenko, one of the several reasons. But, and I think he wanted to get it out there. Like, I, he's like, I feel a little in some ways better this year than I did last year. And I think he was kind of not saying it outrightly, but he was kind of indicating that I had 92 points last year, put, put, put it together. Why my <laughs> point total is not high this year. It's because there's no debrinket and in the infrastructure around him. Yeah. I it's think he caught himself on that soundbite, Charlie, you pointed it out to me uh, when you were there in real time. And then when you go back and watch that, it seemed like he was almost going to say, this is the reason why the point total is down this year, not because of this. And he, and he stopped himself short of that because obviously he didn't want to throw teammates under the bus. Again, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that's sort of the way it looked like uh, when you broke down the soundbite. Right. And I think that's where the, maybe the frustration came from too. Like he wanted to kind of say it, but he know he couldn't say it. Right. right. So I think that's where you can kind of read between the lines, maybe the frustration that whether it's other teams trying to drive down the value and pump up the fact that Kane has been dealing with this injury for a while. Um, but it obviously clearly impacted New York from just totally pivoting away from him. And it makes you wonder whether or not it's going to impact other teams, too. If the Rangers were kind of that adamant on <clears throat> wanting to make a jump on the market and potentially get a guy who's not only cheaper, but also isn't dealing with that specific ailment. I think that those questions can be asked about a lot of teams are going to be looking at Kane, both as a rental and both and as a longer term option. I think that, you know, the one bit of good news for Kane, I guess, is that if he really wants to go to the Rangers in the offseason, the Tarasenko uh, contract does come off of their books. They still would have to make some room for him just kind of looking at their financial outlays for the seasons to come. And I think that it, it also brought up an interesting question to me about how this process is being played out. The conversation that Patrick Kane uh, has or hasn't had with Kyle Davidson and said either that he wants to be traded or doesn't want to be traded. I'm starting to wonder if maybe he shouldn't have let this play out quite so long if he wanted to make sure to have a deal go to a particular team and kind of give Kyle Davidson that lead time to make that deal happen. I'm wondering if there's maybe any regret there on the part of Kane of kind of letting this go down, you know, just a couple of weeks shy of the deadline and not having that conversation. I think that that's definitely a question that's kind of percolating in his mind a little bit. And it's definitely one that's come up to me too, that, you know, he had these specific options in mind, but now they're starting to come off the board in the weak side of the trade deadline. Maybe he should have acted a little bit sooner. That's the exact question I had, James. And I think it's a fair one. Um, you know, and let's pivot into 
my conversation that I had with Elliot Friedman of Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday afternoon on this topic. And I, I pointed out to him, I said, basically what, what you just said, if if he was all in on the New York Rangers and that was his ultimate destination, why why was he going to wait until 10 days out from the trade deadline to kind of give his teams to Kyle and let Kyle begin to uh, broker a deal with the Rangers that, that you're putting a lot, you know, you're acting as if there's nobody else that's going to be a part of the equation, not another team like St. Louis in this case. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny, you know, the conversation with Elliot on the radio on ESP 1000, he's like, no, I, I don't think it had anything to do with, with the timeline that Pat Brisson and, and Kane's camp set up. He thought, it had more to do with the term or with the uh, the amount of his contract being three million dollars more than what Vlad Tarasenko's AAV was at seven and a half versus ten and a half. And back to your original point, Charlie, the there is a, again, this is from Elliot perception around the league that the hip is something that he said that in this interview that we had. He was like, he's like, the hip is a thing according to, you know, other people around the league. Mm -hmm. So whether, you know, and, and he heard it from NHL players at the all-star game uh, two weekends ago that said, Hey, we can tell he's gritting it out and grinding it through an injury. Uh, and we see it. And, and they brought that up to him down in Florida. So, you know, he's hearing from GMs, he's hearing from players on opposing teams uh, and again, his quote was the hip is a thing, whether it's perception becomes reality or what, um, it may not be a thing to Patrick. It may not be a thing to those around him, but somewhere around the league, it is a thing. Yeah. Pat, we were obviously having this conversation after your interview with, uh, Elliot kind of off to the side and, and we know obviously the three of us in watching Patrick Kane, as soon as he picks up a point, especially early, he starts to, you can see the confidence. He's demanding the puck. He's starting to fly on the ice. I think his, I think teams are maybe watching the Blackhawks and they see that Patrick may not be a hundred percent mentally, but I don't think it's from the standpoint of his hip injury. I think he's just, it, it's showing the frustration of, man, I have to really, really earn the points and really try to drive a line by myself when I don't really have players around me that can also help lift me up. Like he really, really has to work hard. And it's hard to go 100 miles an hour when you're playing for a, a team that's at the bottom of the standings. Like if you're telling me that pa the New York Rangers would have acquired Patrick Kane and they would have gotten the same version of Patrick Kane playing for the Blackhawks right now as opposed no like Kane would be totally rejuvenated to know that okay I have to play at a high level because I'm I'm in a playoff hunt right now you know so I'm not saying Kane is is going half-hearted like I just think he realizes man it is so hard for me to produce on this Blackhawks team right now mm -hmm. and I think that's I think maybe um 
teams that are watching the Blackhawks are connecting the wrong dots. Like they're connecting Patrick Kane's low production with his injury. You can see it on the ice. You can see it with his body language. I don't think that's the primary reason. Uh, it's the, the primary reason to me is the fact that it is so hard for him to produce on this team right now. And it's just affecting his body language. Watch closely these next three weeks or however long Patrick Kane is with the Blackhawks between now and the March 3rd trade deadline. When he picks up a point, especially early on, you're going to see him really start to fly in the, cause he wants to make it a big night and he wants, he's, he knows that he's going to feed off that confidence. So I think that's what it is more than anything. You're, you're saying Charlie, that if he was on the line with uh, Zabinajad and Panarin, that his, uh, his effort level, his kind of mental state would kind of uplift a little bit. Is that, that's such an outlandish claim that you have. And I'm not even actually talking about effort level. I'm, I'm talking about confidence specifically, yeah, yeah. right? Like, you I know, should have he, said output. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, no, I, I guess I'm want to make sure that I, I feel like people are interpreting what my uh, comments were earlier. So yeah, I, I, you know, play. Yeah. Of course, if you start playing with Zibanej at a Panarin <laughs> and you're playing on that first power point unit and you're getting your points and you're producing, you're feeling like you're contributing to the team and you're doing so on a team that it actually matters for. Right. So I think that, put it all together. That's, that's what my feeling is. I thought the thing that stuck out most in the conversation about the way that other teams are looking at Patrick Kane, when you were talking to Elliot Friedman, the thing that stood out most to me was that the fact that it's not just teams that are thinking that this is a, a concerning hip issue, potentially like we've talked extensively about whether or not, you know, teams are trying to maybe drive that price down a little bit. So a little bit of doubt so they can get in and maybe pay a little bit less to get Patrick Kane. The fact that it's other NHL players telling Elliot this stuff makes me think that it's a little bit more of an issue than it was previously. I think Charlie's points about the perception and whether or not that perception is accurate or well taken, but the fact it isn't just executives and it's not just, you know, ownership groups that are kind of seeing this kind of play out. And the fact that it's players who, you know, are either on the ice with Kane or are watching games on TV on their own. I think that's maybe a little bit more concerning and maybe a little bit more indicative of a difficulty in the market that the Blackhawks could potentially be walking into. And that definitely stood out to me from that conversation. But I, I also think, sorry, Pat, really quick. I also think the players are paying attention to the outside noise too. So they know, Oh, Patrick Kane has been dealing with this injury. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see that. And then they're kind of, you know, they, they kind of feel that too. And I also wanted to point out, uh, the, the, for the Arizona game, Pat, I texted you this clip and James, I can text it to you too. But in the second period, midway through the second period in the exact same spot of the Evgeny Svechnikov hit from the San Jose game where Kane kind of re-aggravated that hip injury, Kane got hit in the same spot and it was very similar kind of hit. And I looked at Kane, he went right off. He right. It was the, at the very end of a shift. So we went to the bench right after he didn't look he, he looked totally unfazed by it. Like it didn't even bother him. So I think that's where we're kind of. And then I also think about how pa Patrick Kane obviously missed those three games with the injury. He's, he was practicing basically the entire time, though. And he basically said, I could I could have played those last two games. You know, he said he obviously he shouldn't have played the Tampa game, but he said the, the, the right. two of the three games at the end, he said he probably could have played. So. You know, maybe if he only misses one game, like, is that maybe it's not as big of a storyline? I'm not sure. So, you know, we assume he and Paprasan have talked to Kyle, you know, since uh, Friday, since kind of the fallout from the Tarasenko deal. You would assume that this is the week that they're going to give. And maybe that is actually expedited the process a little bit. 
what what teams do you think are on that list as as we talk about it? If we look out east, um, I I think you could make a case that Carolina could be on that list. I don't know uh, if, if Patrick's desire to go to Carolina, but th- they look like a team that's ready to win. And uh, I, I think uh, have a very well-respected coach in Rod Brindamore. You look at the Devils possibly as a landing spot for him. That might check the uh, the big city uh, appetite that that I think Patrick would would thrive in. And then we look out west, and Dallas looks like it could be a potential spot. I know we've mentioned Vegas. I don't know exactly. Um, you know, Patrick's desire to play for the Golden Knights. Uh, and then you, you've you got some, you know, Canadian teams. And I, I don't know his appetite to play north of the border, even if it's just for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously we've mentioned it, it's crazy because you have to like look at all of the teams on an individual standpoint and, and try to think, OK, what would Patrick be thinking? Right. Because it's not necessarily just this team has the best chance to win the Stanley cup. You know, it obviously is fit and whether it's long-term potential, that's, that's one of the things too. I would like to get some clarity on if Patrick were to waive his no movement clauses, does it have to be contingent on a potential extension or maybe not an immediate extension, but knowing in the back of his mind, okay, this team views me as a potential piece moving forward, not just a rental. And then I got to do this all over again in the summer. Um, the, the two teams I obviously mentioned on, uh, the pregame show the other day were Dallas and Vegas. Vegas to me makes the most sense just because he can go out and play with Jack Eichel, who he played with at the BioSteel camp. But also, he's he's immediately going to play on the first line. He's immediately going to play on the first power play unit, and he's immediately going to become the guy that can be the game breaker for a Vegas Golden Knights team that does that does not have many game breakers. It will basically be Jack Eichel and Patrick Kane, right? With Dallas, maybe there's definitely a it's it's definitely a better fit because Dallas is a much better team overall. It feels like, um, and they're they're just really looking for someone to play with Tyler Sagan and Patrick Kane played with Sagan over the the 2013 lockout, the abbreviated lockout. So there's there's a little bit of chemistry there. The one mini uh, complication that could happen with Dallas is the fact that they don't have a first round pick this year. Uh, that first round pick actually ironically went to New York or uh, is that the New York Rangers hold that first round pick and whichever one is the later of the two is going to go to St. Louis and the Tarasenko trade. So uh, maybe there's a fit there. Um, but I just don't know if, if I don't know how the Blackhawks would make that deal work, knowing that they wouldn't be able to get a first round pick in return. And then Carolina, I, I think they would prioritize a second line center over a winger, but I think they have, they might have cap room to do both to, yeah. to do a second yeah. line center and also get, a winger. So I'm not sure. So maybe there is there an opportunity for them. Um, the one thing I will say, and Elliot mentioned this on, on the, on your uh, show on Saturday, Pat is th- there were some people going into the year that felt like it was New Yorker bust for Patrick Kane. Right. So I think that's, that's going to be a storyline these next 10 days or so, or however long it takes for Patrick Kane to make a decision, knowing that the Rangers are totally off the table. Now does Kane decide yeah, Dallas, Vegas, they are intriguing, but it's not enough to kind of grab me and want to go there and wave my no movement clause right now. So I think that's also on the table that Patrick could just finish out the year in Chicago and then just reassess in the summer. 
And I think that the point about him potentially looking for a future home, there are not a lot of the teams that you've mentioned, Charlie, that are really going to have the cap space to make that happen long term, right? The Vegas Golden Knights probably are not going to easily have the cap space to fold Patrick Kane into their system and keep him next season, right? Like that, it's such an ideal fit now with Mark Stone going down. And as you alluded to, all those roster holes that they currently have that Kane would fill, they have the cap room. They have the needs. It makes sense short term. It's really hard to see it making sense long term. And if that's playing into Patrick's calculus at all, he can't be thinking about probably that team because I just don't think that the fits there. The same issue actually applies to Dallas, too. I know that the stars are really adamant about wanting to get somebody to play with Tyler Sagan. And I think that Patrick Kane would fit in really well with him. But when you look at their cap situation next season, Hints is going to be making $8.4 million next season. Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn are both under long-term big-money contracts. Jason Robertson's under a big-money contract. Even Mason Marchman is making $4.5 million a season. They have a ton of money tied up in their forward group, and I just don't see them being able to fit Patrick Kane into that mix unless he's willing to take a really significant pay cut, and I just don't envision that scenario playing out. So I think that if Patrick Kane really decides that he wants to move now, it's pretty much rental or bust at this point. I don't see a lot of teams that are going to be willing to not only sign him now, but also potentially look at him as a long-term option. I think that's probably going to have to wait for the off season if he wants to do that. Yeah, I agree with you, James. I I think wherever Patrick goes, it's going to be uh, in the here and now in a rental situation. And we're going to see how things go, especially if, like Elliot said, the hip is a thing. I think, you know, whoever acquires him is going to uh, wait to see if the hip is a thing or if, if Patrick's going to turn on the magic that he usually does turn on and, and elevates the team and plays well in the playoffs. And then after the playoff run, they would talk about a possible extension. I think you, I think you need to see Patrick under the spotlight of the Stanley Cup playoffs, how he's playing, how he's performing to kind of dictate and, and to determine what the uh, the number is going to be going forward as far as an extension. Uh, I, I wanted to put a bow on the conversation with Elliot uh, and talk a little bit about Jonathan Taves. Elliot uh, talked last week about Jonathan going and getting tests to see kind of what he is dealing with. Um, this is a really telling week, Charlie. He did not make the trip to Winnipeg. They are now in Montreal. They'll play the Canadians on Tuesday night. They'll fly to Toronto on, on uh, Tuesday night after the game. Won't have a, a morning skate on Wednesday, and they'll play the Leafs on uh, Wednesday evening. So you would think there's going to be a spotlight on, on uh, Kane, from the Montreal media on uh, Monday and Tuesday before the game. And I don't know when we're going to see Jonathan Taves next. It'll be interesting to to hear from Luke Richardson kind of what's going on in Chicago and, and what are the plans for 19 to rejoin the team. Yeah, this is obviously, it's an important next few weeks for a lot of NHL teams. And I'm sure there are some teams that are looking at the situation with Jonathan Taves and saying, okay, there was a, whatever, a week-long, bi-week, and all-star break, and he was ruled out with an illness beforehand. And then afterwards, they came out of the bi-week, and he was still gone for whatever it was, not practicing for six or seven days before the road trip. And now he's not with the team on the road trip, but could potentially join them 
um, mid road trip. I just don't, I don't know if I see a scenario where he plays on Tuesday or Wednesday, maybe he joins the team for, for the back half of it. Um, I'm not sure, but it, it's certainly, and I don't want to speculate too about what might be going on, but it's certainly thing. It's, it's certainly something that teams are probably monitoring the situation, especially going into the trade deadline. Like what's going on here? What's the medical update on Jonathan Taves and will he potentially be available for us to trade for? Yeah, and that's something that, like you said, Charlie, we can't really uh, speculate on just like his availability for the remainder of the season. There's so much that we don't know about it. We know there are teams out there that could potentially use him in that center role. You keep bringing up Carolina. It seems like if there was maybe a three-way deal, that would be something that they would potentially explore would be bringing a guy like Jonathan Taves in to fill that center role. But They bring Kane and Taves in? (laughs) That would be... I don't know if that's even like remotely possible, but hey, we might as well dream pie in the sky. Right? Hey, maybe they bring in Max Domi, bring in Domi and Tabes. Bam. Problem solved. I should be Kane's GM. Um, <laughs> I, I just I think that, yeah, the uncertainty surrounding Tabes. I think there's so many questions right now. I've really kind of backburnered his uh, trade potential. I, I can't imagine a lot of teams are going to be lining up right now, not really knowing what's going on with number 19 and you know, just kind of fully turning the focus to Kane. And I, I also agree with you, Charlie, that if he's not on the ice for practice today and he's not with the team, I, I strongly doubt they're going to toss him in on the back end of a back-to-back, especially against a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't see them doing that. They seem to have really made it a point to kind of slowly bring him through this process of getting him back up to speed. And I think that having him on the back end of the trip is going to be way more likely than seeing him the next two games. But until then, the questions just persist. It's one of the, it's a weird situation. It's kind of hard to get a gauge on how this is all going to play out over the next few weeks. You know, one thing that Elliot mentioned a few times in our conversation, not only on the radio, but also in his 32 thoughts podcast is what do the Hawks want to do with Kane and Taves? And Charlie, we sat down with the two of them uh, about a month ago and um, each brought up at different times kind of the phrasing of, you know, how do we fit in or how do I fit in here? Um, I'm beginning to think that's more of a, a thing than I even gave it uh, credence to. I, 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 um, I always assumed that you know, the rebuild was on. I've I've kind of bought into the rebuild. Probably Brandon Hagel was when it got yeah. real for me. I think it got real for a lot of people on draft night when Doc and DeBrinket were dealt. But it seems like there's stages of acceptance and denial about this. And um, I just was under the impression that they kind of that that they weren't probably going to be a part of of the rebuild that they were going to either agree to to be traded at the trade deadline or play out their final year and go to the their next stop. I did, didn't think extensions and finishing the career in Chicago were necessarily top of priority on either side of the ledger. How do you interpret now like what how they're feeling about being wanted by the Blackhawks do you is there any part of you that thinks like you know they probably expected to get some sort of offer and maybe they haven't received that and and somehow that has impacted uh their mindset a little bit yeah I'm wondering 
the importance of having a conversation for Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves once they do get into a room and whatever, whether Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves are a part of it or not, or if it's just Kyle Davidson and Pat Brisson kind of getting into a room and, and talking about what Kane and Taves' wants are, I feel like Kyle has been up front from the beginning saying, if Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves want to be here, we'll we'll make room for them, right? Like they they obviously they're going to be a part of it. But I I definitely think there's something there where Patrick and Jonathan would they want to feel wanted by the Blackhawks and not just the fact that Kane and Taves are interfering with Chicago's rebuild plans by potentially <laughs> wanting to stick around, right? Like there is maybe I think Elliot had suggested it too, just I don't know if Chicago would probably preferably want to just kind of start from scratch and have this new era be ushered in just, just kind of start from the ground up, not saying they they're going to push Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves out the door, but maybe that might be their preference. I think for sure there would be some sort of element where Kane and Taves would want to feel wanted by the Blackhawks if they were to, to resign at the same time though, I'm not sure how, how Kyle, would initiate a conversation like that, not knowing what Kane and Taves' personal preference are. Like, I think Kyle might be looking at it from the standpoint, like, I'm going to respect whatever they want to do, and I'm not going to force anything on them, but I'm also willing to hear what they what they potentially um, want to do if they do want to stick around in Chicago and what our plan is. So I think that larger-scale conversation has not happened yet, and I imagine it will in the next 7 to 10 days so that, you know both sides can hear each other out and they can actually kind of talk about if Kane and Taves do want to stick around, what would a potential extension look like? And what would, what would the plan be beyond this season if they were to, to stick around? I mean, we're only two and a half weeks away from the trade deadline. I feel like those conversations need to start happening at some point, especially when you already have guys uh, that are already moving, like your Vlad Tarasenko's and your Bo Horvats. I think that teams are striking while the iron is hot and they're making those moves. They're identifying the teams that want to sell and the Blackhawks are in kind of this limbo position where if they haven't spoken to Kane and Taves yet, they're at a disadvantage to all of these other teams. I think the one thing with the wanting to feel wanted uh, aspect of this with Kane and Taves. I'm genuinely curious if they both say, or if one of them says, I don't want to be traded right now. I like it in Chicago. I wonder then does Kyle Davidson turn around and offer them a contract extension or does he just basically say, we'll revisit it in the off season and then just kind of let them go in free agency. I'm really curious when the ball is truly in Kyle Davidson's court, what it is he's going to do. I haven't been able to get a real bead on what that would be. If Patrick Kane said, no, I don't want to be traded. I don't want to uproot my family during the season. Does he go to Patrick Kane then at the end of March with a contract extension offer, or does he just let this get to free agency or does he, uh, you know, I guess in one scenario, wait to see if they're going to get a chance to draft Connor Bedard, I guess. But yeah, I'm really curious how Kyle Davidson's going to react when the ball is truly in his court, because I don't think he's tipped his hand either way. And I think that that's what's really generating a lot of this. Do they want us or do they not want us uh, kind of discussion? Yeah, I think if Kane wants to be back, uh, you, you find a way to make Kane a, a black. Like if he wants to finish his career in Chicago. I mean, you do everything you can to to make that happen. You're not going to. Is that in the best interest of the Blackhawks, though, to keep him on the books? And you it, know... depend, it depends on the number, James, right. I think. Yep. I think. Yeah, that's exactly it, it. If it comes in at a number that's reasonable, 
um, you know, I, I think uh, then they they make that that move and they keep him here. And I think if by chance they did get Bedard, they got the number one overall pick, I think that really changes things. I think Patrick would have a real appetite to stay here. Mm-hmm. And I think he, he would tolerate, you know, the next two years of climbing up the, the standing, so to speak, and becoming uh, back to respectability when it comes to being a playoff team. If he was out there with a you know franchise making player like Connor Bedard, uh, and his numbers you would assume would go up, uh, that would be something that I think he could tolerate. But the Taves situation is completely different. You know, we don't we don't even know if he's going to play the rest of this season. And uh, you know, with everything that Johnny's gone through, I you know, I think it's it's too early to say you know what his future looks like. So I I don't think anybody could offer him an extension in good faith right now with so much uncertainty uh, around him. Mm-hmm. You By the way, Mark games. Lazarus reporting Jonathan Taves is not on the ice at practice in Montreal today. Okay. That doesn't, uh, that doesn't surprise us, no, right? Not at all. No, you could win big with NBC sports, Chicago and Coors light. Just enter the scratch and score sweepstakes for your chance to win two sweet tickets to a hockey game this season and a whole bunch more enter at NBC sports, slash sweepstakes. Speaking you guys already of, have sweet uh, tickets. You don't need to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of uh, trade movement, uh, Jacob Chikrin has been a uh, a hot button topic in, in in recent weeks. He was held out of a game the other night for uh, trade reasons, assuming that it was a, a deal that Arizona was trying to get done with the L.A. Kings. Uh, apparently, there has been a, a hitch in the negotiations and he remains part of the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, how do you think this impacts uh, Jake McCabe and uh, the market for uh, his services? Yeah, I was. this obviously all happened on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday. So we were kind of watching the games, the early window, and then Arizona sends out that tweet. And, of course, all the insiders that have to go to work and say, all right, you're not – because Jacob Jickern, he had just played on Friday in Chicago, right? right. So it wasn't some – like, hey, let's just hold him out just in case. Like, th- there must have been something uh, close to imminent or something in the works where they felt like they needed to hold out Jacob Trickren. So then Jeff Merrick went on Hockey Night in Canada and dug into it and said he had heard that Toronto and Edmonton were not the teams. And then he kind of hinted that LA didn't totally dismiss it, but they threw cold water on it because, you know, it was the Dustin Brown retirement ceremony night. So maybe they didn't want to potentially announce a significant trade because you kind of upstage that night. But then, you know, obviously listening to Elliot Friedman on 32 thoughts this morning, it it sounded like after Arizona uh, put that tweet out, other teams may be re-engaged and, with with Arizona about a potential chicken deal, a feeling that something was eminent and, Elliot, I don't think he was reporting this as matter of factly. I think this was just his read on the situation that the framework of a deal was close to agreed upon, like what pieces were going where. And it was uh, contracts that needed to to leave that was the what that was the potential hiccup. And so as we record this on Monday afternoon, there isn't a Jacob Chickern deal in place and maybe there are other teams stepping up behind the scenes knowing that Chickern was real close to getting dealt on Saturday night and so my immediate thought was okay if Chickern gets dealt well obviously we would have to look at what the return is but then that my immediate thought went to that 
that could immediately impact the Jake McCabe sweepstakes because that's a left shot defenseman off the board. And the only other high profile guy right now is Eric Carlson. And that's such a financial uh, headache to maneuver a deal that maybe teams would just totally shift their focus to a Jake McCabe. So and a one-sided transact, you know, an offensive, strictly offensive minded guy versus a, a two-way guy in, in Jake or more defensive style uh, defenseman too. Right, correct. And and if the Blackhawks too were to retain salary on that Jake McCabe trade, he he becomes a real appealing piece potentially at a $2 million cap hit for the rest of this playoffs and also two more seasons after this. Um, so yeah, so once that Chikrin deal happens, whether it happens today or whether it happens a week from now, whatever, it that is going to speed up. I think it would benefit the Blackhawks if that deal got done sooner than later, because once, once Chikrin is off the board, that ups the inch or that ups the urgency for other teams to get their work done too. So I, I imagine Jake McCabe, the Blackhawks would start getting calls on him right after that deal happens. I'm not convinced that Jake McCabe is going to command a player like a Quentin Byfield or a Brant Clark, as was being floated about by people talking about a potential Chikrin trade to LA. I mean, those are two, Real high draft picks. Those are high-end prospects. I'm not positive that that would be the case, but we've seen the reports out there. The Blackhawks, especially if they're going to retain salary, are going to want a first-round pick and then some from a team for Jake McCabe. And I think that he's played at a really high level this season. I think that cap hit is really reasonable. And if the Blackhawks eat any of it, just seeing those names floated in connection to Jacob Chikrin really made me kind of wonder to myself, could Jake McCabe pull a first round pick and a decent prospect like that would be a coup for this rebuilding process if they were able to get that done. And then the real question is how much of the, you know, the eating of the contract are you willing to stomach in order to kind of facilitate that deal to get that kind of return? I know that doing it this season, no big deal, like $2 million, whatever. I strongly doubt the Blackhawks are going to spend enough money in the coming two off seasons to make a $2 million cap hit on that McCabe contract really mean much, but still, is that something that that doesn't concern you guys at all? Right. I'm not like kind of being too uh, loose with that. I don't think so. Only because you're guaranteeing yourself a first round pick. If you do it right, if you, if if the package wasn't really enticing that I, obviously there would be no reason for the Blackhawks to retain that salary. But I think the fact that especially if you can guarantee yourself a first round pick in this year's draft that that speeds up when that prospect will then be with the Blackhawks. Like if the Blackhawks maybe get a 2024 first round pick for Jake McCabe, I would be like, uh, I mean, whatever it's a first round pick, but it's also now that prospect is probably not going to be in Chicago for, you know, four more years. Right. So maybe it, it would, you know, there, there would definitely be, um, I don't, I don't think the Blackhawks retaining salary would impact year two and three of the Jake McCabe contract. I think they would really want to guarantee that first round pick, especially in this year's draft class. See, this is called let Pat and Charlie make like check me and make sure that I'm not going off the deep end on some of these thoughts. So I appreciate it, gentlemen. I will say this, guys, I've been uh, keeping an eye on uh, Blackhawks prospects more than I thought I would. and, And kind of I've been really impressed with how organizationally they've gone from and again, these are all polls and, and predictions by draft experts and prospects experts. Uh, but, you know, a year ago they were in the 20s, you know, towards closer to uh, the, the 30th ranked team in the NHL. And a lot of teams now are a lot of uh, talking heads have them 
you know, with a top 10 uh, ranking as far as prospect pool. So, you know, so far so good on, on some of the players that they brought into the mix. And it seems like every night or every other night, there's, there's a prospect that's, that's making a, a difference making play, a difference making goal uh, in Camesso's case, a difference making save. Uh, it's been pretty, pretty cool to watch. And and how about the the 2022 draft class specifically? I, I don't think any one of those players that were drafted are having a down year. Really, the only guy is Frank Nazar, and it was because he was hurt, right? So and he scored finally... a goal his second game of the <laughs> season, so clearly right. not awful. <laughs> right, right. So like I'm looking, I'm looking at the Blackhawks prospect stats right now. It's like Gavin Hayes has 53 points in 52 games in the OHL. Sam Savoie has 50 points in 44 games. Like he was not known to be this offensive driver, but he is. Um, Kevin Korchinski obviously is among the WHL leaders in points among defensemen. And Paula Dewinsky, 34 points in 44 games. Ryan Green, one of the best freshmen in the NCAA. Like these are all guys that were drafted last year that are having really significant years. And even go look at the seventh round pick. Rico Tohila is having a great year too in Finland. He's having this offensive breakout. So yeah, the Blackhawks got to be really encouraged by what they're seeing. I think obviously it's not necessarily going to translate into NHL success, but I think what you want to see at this stage is the prospects taking steps, not taking steps back Mm -hmm. or obviously taking steps forward, not taking steps back. And so the fact that they're all really progressing at a nice rate is encouraging for the development of Chicago's prospects. I also appreciate the fact that some of the guys picked before that are also having some really solid seasons. We've talked a lot about Ethan Del Mastro. We've talked a lot about Nolan Allen, seeing guys like that who are probably closer to the NHL level, having the successes that they are both on the international stage and then with their respective junior and college teams, I think is super encouraging too, because it's going to bridge the gap to that 2022 generation that's going to come in and provide some backfill after Lucas Reichel makes the NHL and then just kind of progress from there. It's real. It is really encouraging. It also gives you faith that uh, the decisions that are making in the scouting process and the drafting process are working. When you see these players, the best on their collegiate team, you know, Ryan green, almost making team Canada and using that as, as fuel. When you see these players at the best uh, in their on their team or in their league, um, you know that's the type of development you want to see. Now, whether that translates in, into an NHL player, we'll find out down the road. But I'd like to think that if you're, you know, the best in the OHL on your particular team or AHL going to the to, to the All Star game, um, it's indicative of of where your talent is at that level, and hopefully you'll continue to progress. Any other parting shots before we exit stage right? I was going to say it's, it feels like the Blackhawks are going to have a ton of prospects at next year's World Juniors, and they're all going to be playing significant roles, right? I think of Kevin Korchinski and, um, you know, obviously some of the players that participated for Team Canada and this year's World Juniors, but they were kind of just there to get their feet wet. Like next mm-hmm. year, they're going to be playing big roles. And also Frank Nazar did not play in this year's World Juniors because he was hurt. I imagine he's going to play a significant role for Team USA next year. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be next year is going to be a fun World Juniors because that's going to be a, a tournament where a lot of Blackhawks prospects are going to be participating in, but also be playing significant roles with their respective teams. 
as we're all kind of twiddling our thumbs, waiting for Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves to decide their futures. I know being really judgmental of guys making life altering decisions. It's at least nice having those uh, junior games and having Frank Nazar back with Michigan and back playing. It's nice to have those to watch. Like that's been so fun this season and it's only continuing to get more fun as we go along. Hey, one thing I I saw today that I I hadn't seen before in the NHL, and I think it'd be something cool for the Hawks to do down the road. We always talk about the mom's trips or the father's trips. Uh, The Bruins are doing the siblings trip. So they've invited brothers and and sisters along uh, to to take part in uh, an NHL road trip, see behind the scenes. And I think, I just think of how cool that would be to, you know, have some of these NHL players to have their siblings who played a, you know, probably played a huge role in, uh, in their getting involved in hockey and in their development, if they're big brothers or big sisters, uh, I think that'd be something cool to see down the road. That's a, that's going to be a heavy, uh, heavy expense report. If there's one of six, six uh, siblings that are all five siblings are. That's true. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think all are able to come. It might be, (laughs) it might cause up some family friction of who just make sure. I was going to say, make sure they don't uh, go on the Arizona trip. I don't know if any of the suites at mullet arena can handle that many people. (laughs) That's a wrap on this edition of the Blackhawks talk podcast for James Nouveau and Charlie Romeliotis. I'm Pat Boyle. Thank you for listening, watching. Don't forget to rate us and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on the Blackhawks Talk Podcast. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.